0: Welcome to the SPNM podcast, sports, politics, news, and movies. Today we are going to be covering a whole list of topics. We're going to start with playoff baseball, roll through some big matchups in the NFL, discuss what I think is potentially the greatest buddy cop movie franchise of all time, and we'll dive into a little news on the economics front. So first to baseball. Last night we had three Major League Baseball games. Uh, the, in game number one, the Yankees and the Guardians. The Guardians pulled it out 4-2 to two in 10 innings. That series is tied up 1-1. One one. They had a rain out uh, from the big rainstorm that happened up in that area earlier this week. So they got moved to last night to play game two. The Phillies scorch the Braves 9-1. Uh, I was thinking Strider from Atlanta would have a great outing, but unfortunately in the third inning, uh, he got lit up a couple of home runs by the Phillies by Hoskins, uh, really put them in the lead, and unfortunately Atlanta could, just couldn't get going, the Padres picked up a victory last night leading the series 2-1, to one, uh, winning actually 2-1, to one. Uh, Hader closes it out for the Padres, and Musgrove, who pitched excellent in the wildcard round, is going to go in game four tonight, uh, or go in game four when they do play, to potentially end the series. Uh, the question has to be asked right now, with two of the four series going to the wildcard teams, or at least in the lead, um, having those series prior to may have been an advantage, right? kind of lets you get into a groove a little bit, takes the pressure away right? you have some big hits in some key situations in the wild card round. Uh, get a good pitching outing from a starter bullpen kind of figures itself out. So it looks like this three game set could potentially lead to a couple of wild card teams advancing. Um, not that that's you know unheard of anyway, but it does beg the question if those extra few games gave an advantage to those teams because um, again you had the Braves and the Dodgers have almost five days off in between games you got to think that's going to affect your offense and your pitching. They're not going to be as sharp. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if either of those teams can even up the series and take it to a game five. Um, but if they can't, right, the question definitely has to be asked. Uh, with the Yankees and the Guardians being tied up 1-1 and having a day off in between, it certainly uh, gets the Guardians pitching staff a little bit more lined up. But Bieber threw last night. He was only able to get him through six innings, but the bullpen came in and kept it close, and then, of course, they were able to uh, take it over in the 10th inning. Uh, Tonight, of course, that means you're going to see Seattle and Houston. Houston's up to nothing more than likely. You'll probably see Houston win the series. Um, But I believe Castillo is going tonight for Seattle, uh, so they could potentially uh, even that up. Let's see here. Do they have starters yet? Nope. Uh, Apparently, Castillo is not. Castillo must have gone on Game 2, so it's going to be Kirby versus McCullers uh, at 4 o'clock to see if uh, Houston can move on, uh, Braves and Phillies at two, and Yankees, Guardians as well today, and the Dodgers and the Padres, so uh, potentially three out of the four series could end today with the Yanks and Guardians obviously at least going to Sunday, if not uh, Monday for a game five if necessary. We work our way over to the NFL. We've got a big slate of games coming up. It is Week Six, so we're starting to get to the meat of the season, trying to figure out who is for real and who is not. Seventeen-game season certainly has uh, changed some things, right, in terms of kind of pacing your season out a little bit better. But we'll start with some big matchups and some fantasy implications here. We got the first game of the weekend: Pats versus the Browns. Uh, Mac Jones potentially could make his return to the Patriots offensive lineup after missing the last few weeks with an ankle injury. If not, uh, my guess is Bailey Zappi will get the start. I doubt they would bring Hoyer back just because Zappi's played uh, solidly enough to earn some more snaps. Um, It'll be interesting to see if Mac Jones does come back and if that has any effect on the offense. If Maybe they start to put the ball down the field a little bit more. My guess is uh, the Patriots will rely on Ramondre Stevenson like they had the last couple of weeks. He's been tough to beat, good downhill runner, kind of underrated, I would say. So if the Browns can slow him down um, and force the Patriots to pass the ball, that's pretty much what every team's going to try to do. It'll be interesting to see if they have their starting quarterback, Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi. Fantasy-wise, right, the only guys that are really relevant on the Patriots, uh, potentially the defense, uh, Ramondre Stevenson. Jacoby Myers, when he's been playing this, has been kind of a target monster, so he would be a good guy to go with, but other than that, you can't really trust Hunter Henry, he hasn't gotten a lot of red zone looks, um, and unfortunately, you know, Kendrick Bourne or Devontae Parker, the big signing in the offseason, really hasn't done enough to warrant a start. Uh, I know some people have been um, gobbling up Tyquan Thornton as kind of the speed guy, but my assumption with that is that you're going to see very minimal targets. Um, He might wind up with a target or two a game maybe to spread the defense out But my guess is until later in the year. He is not going to be a prevalent part of the offense On the Brown side of things right you they've been playing pretty solidly uh, With Jacoby Brissett managing the game for them their defense obviously is very good Uh, And of course they have a two-headed monster in the running game. That is probably one of the best if not the best at Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt So again, that will be the Patriots' main goal. Belichick will try to take those two away uh, and force Brissett to beat them. Uh, In the passing game, the only guy, the Browns, that have really uh, been consistent is Njoku. Mari Cooper has had a couple of decent games, but he hasn't been consistent. Uh, I wonder if you'll see him uh, maybe have a big game because out of all the weapons, right, he's been the one. uh, Maybe the Patriots will let let them be because they always let one guy... Uh, go off but it's usually not their best player so my guess is uh, they'll try to stifle the run game with Chubb and Hunt and force Brissett to have to move the ball down the field and of course that will lead them to either go to Njoku or Amari Cooper Um, but of course don't be surprised if (laughs) some no-name slot receiver has a big game or you know your backup your second string tight end just because that's how Belichick tends to roll Uh, Game number two of the weekend Oh, I would probably go, I hate to go against the Pats, me being a fan and all they've been playing so well defensively, Um, but my guess is it's going to be a very close game. I don't think more than a field goal separates them, but I'll take the Pats just by a couple of points here. Uh, Next game in the weekend is the Bills and the Chiefs. Obviously, huge playoff implications. Most would see this as the playoff AFC championship preview, um, similar to last year. Um, Right now, I'd give Buffalo the edge early. Uh, They're a little bit more of an established team. Uh, The Chiefs, while unbelievable, right, lost Tyreek Hill, so I think they're still trying to find uh, their full offensive identity. Of course, you have Travis Kelsey, so that allows them to, at least when they get to the red zone, have somebody that can be efficient, having four touchdowns last week. But I think their speed that they lost in losing Hill hasn't truly been figured out yet, so until that part gets solved, I think the Chiefs aren't gonna be as explosive as they have been in the past. However, um, if they can establish a run game and be a little bit more efficient defensively, um, that can overcome right some of that explosive offense. However, the Bills all have been playing excellent. Josh Allen is by far the MVP of the NFL right now. Um, he's got some really good wide receivers. He knows how to work with digs. Uh, the running game isn't great, but to be honest, when you have a rushing quarterback like Allen, you don't need to have a great running game. See Baltimore. Um, even see Philadelphia, even though Philadelphia has a decent running game, when it's not run, Hertz can still run the ball. Kyler Murray in Arizona, so that might be a little bit overrated stat. Um, Allen is very good, so I'll give them the edge early on, but later in the season, uh, if they play in the playoffs, Got to see how the Chiefs kind of progress offensively to see if they can replace Hill or alter their offense enough so that, of course, um, they can go at it a bit of a different way. Fantasy-wise, right, um, you got Diggs and Allen on the Buffalo side. Um, You probably could go Gabe Davis as well. Um, He would probably be the three guys I would look at on Buffalo, on Kansas City um Mahomes and Kelsey are probably your two best bets from then on you're really just kind of guessing you're kind of you know picking and choosing um so any one of those players could have a big game but those five players are your fantasy best bets uh next big game of the weekend is the Dolphins and the Vikings the Vikings are a very quiet four and one team uh, and the Dolphins of course are a very loud three and two team having had one of the biggest incidents happen in the NFL, losing Tua to a concussion. Uh, He is out again this week, but it does look like Bridgewater will play, so we will finally see what the offense will look like with Teddy Bridgewater behind the wheel. Um, They need to move the ball down the field, right? They are built to throw the ball down the field, so when they can't do that, they become very predictable uh, and very easy to stop. So we'll see if Teddy Bridgewater can bring that, but if he can't, uh, it totally negates the the money they spent in the offseason and, of course, drafting Jalen Waddle last year, which is why the Dolphins are 3-2 and two, uh, instead of being like 4-1 and one or 5-0. and oh. uh, The Vikes obviously have to go to their run game to control the clock. Uh, Kirk Cousin has to limit his turnovers, get the ball to Jefferson and Thielen. Jefferson obviously is an extreme game-changer, so we'll see what Miami does with him. Maybe they'll try to shut him down and Thielen will have a big game, but the biggest thing is Dalvin Cook, right? He's starting to show... Show up a little bit, so if he can continue to run the ball effectively, they're going to be very tough to beat, especially when the Dolphins aren't at 100% without Tua. But again, we don't know how it looks with Teddy uh, behind the wheel. Uh, fantasy-wise, with the Dolphins, right, you, you, you're you going to play Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle regardless of who's a quarterback. Um, if you have both, right, <laughs> good luck picking which one. That's kind of the tough part about it. Um, anybody else? Uh, Mosert's out, I believe, with an injury, so... Uh, maybe you get the, uh, the Chase Edmonds, uh, a, a look for potentially goal line touches and being more of a focus offensively. Uh, on the Viking side, right, obviously Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and Dalvin Cook. Um, probably between Jefferson and Thielen, right, Jefferson's the better player, but of course every team is going to focus on Jefferson, so that's where Thielen can kind of work his way in there with a heavy reception game the fourth game I want to talk about this week is the Giants and the Ravens. Yes, the New York football Giants in week six are still being talked about, and it basically comes down to one simple thing, right? Barkley is healthy. He's running the ball extremely well, and if obviously they can run the ball well, control the line of scrimmage, they can control the clock, and of course force teams to do things that they don't like to do. They have another good defense that can get to the quarterback. Again, if you look back at all the successful Giants teams of the past, this is what they were like, right? Hard-nosed running game, didn't turn the ball over, had some decent athletes as wide receivers, but that wasn't their main selling point. Defensively, they have a tight, not tight, but a good front line. They can put pressure on the quarterback. And again, if anybody knows anything about the NFL, if you can pressure the quarterback, you can win a lot of football games. Again, the reason... Uh, the Patriots and Tom Brady were great for so many years is because they were able to negate that pass rush. But remember, whenever they were beat, they were beat with the pass rush. So, uh, I Fantasy-wise with the Giants, you know you got to go with Barkley. Anybody else is kind of a toss-up. Uh, Daniel Jones is a decent fantasy quarterback, but it would be more of a fill-in. Um, playing against Baltimore, they've got a good defense, so hard to go with that one. On the Baltimore side of things, they've just been very inconsistent Uh, offensively they've shown signs of really uh, strong ability to go down the field Uh, Devin DuVernay has been a explosive weapon out of the slot um, kinda getting him the ball in different ways to to show his speed off obviously him being a kick and punt returner um, similar to you know like Devin Hester so he's been a nice surprise I mean Lamar Jackson is Lamar Jackson right you can't stop him you can only hope to contain him J.K. Dobbins is working his way back from injury, so we'll see. Does he start to see a lion's share of the carries, or does Harbaugh do what Harbaugh always does, which is you know, have two or three running backs for whatever reason? The Giants, I think, are a little bit better right now. I still don't know exactly what, um, what the Ravens' problem is with consistent football. Usually they're a very tough team in the regular season, Um, But I think it's going to come down to a couple of things. I think it's going to come down to the Ravens' ability to stop Barkley. If they can do that, obviously it's going to be tough to put Jackson, um, to keep Jackson's offensive numbers down. So you know they're going to score points. And, of course, if they get over the 45, they're going to score points because Justin Tucker is the best kicker in the league. So uh, on the Baltimore side of things, right, Tucker is an easy one to go with because he's the best famous kicker out there. Um, Lamar Jackson is obviously probably top five, top ten QB every week. Um, Duvernay's an interesting play. He's been getting some touches out of the backfield, so Duvernay is kind of a, a WR3, but he does have some upside. Um, the only other guy I would play on the Baltimore side of things would be Andrews and potentially Dobbins, but again, it's always tough to play a Baltimore running back just because they don't tend to focus a lot on the run game. The last game I'm going to talk about and one of the biggest games of the weekend is the Cowboys versus the Eagles. It does look like Dax will miss this week, which, if you look at their schedule, makes a lot of sense. They play Detroit in Week 7, and Detroit doesn't really have a defense. I mean, Bailey Zappi and the Patriots put 29 points on them, so I think that's a smart move by the Cowboys to give Dak another week um, and then kind of work him back in a little bit less of a game because I think um, Cooper Rush has played exceptionally well in his role of game manager, um, feeding the ball to Pollard and Zeke, Allowing the the Cowboys extremely talented defense do their job and not losing the game. And I think if you're a Cowboys fan, the one question you've got to ask yourself is do you really want Dak back? Um, You know, offensively, you're not putting up the numbers you did in years past, right? You're not putting up 30 or 40 points, but you're also not turning the ball over in key situations. You're not having quick three and outs, which forces your defense to play a lot more. Um, again, Dallas's defense is probably one of the top defenses in the league. If you can keep them healthy um, and rested, they are extremely difficult to score on. So uh, from a Dallas perspective, it's going to be a tough go if Dak comes back and can't hold on to the ball uh, because Cooper Rush has done such a nice job. Philadelphia, however, is 5-0. and oh. Jalen Hurts and company have been an offensive juggernaut, and their defense has been pressuring the quarterback and slowing other teams down, have, as they have been in years past. But I think this is the year the offense has kind of found its groove. They added A.J. Brown in the off season, and having Devontae Smith there for year two, I think, has given the Eagles two really good wide receivers. Um, Goddard is also a very good tight end, so you've given him some targets. And in the backfield, you got Sanders, Gainwell, uh, and, of course, some other guys that they tend to just drag off the streets that do well. So... The Eagles offensively are very tough to beat because they have so many weapons. Kind of reminds me of of the Chiefs, right, in years past, right? You can't really stop one, so you just kind of hope to limit their ability to move the ball down the field and kind of force them to have efficient drives, right? Instead of having, like, four-play 80-yard touchdowns, right, you want them to run 11, 12-play drives and hopefully force them to just three points. So we'll see what the defensive game looks like again, slight edge to Philadelphia simply because offensively they are extremely tough to stop but again if the Cowboys defense can slow them down and keep Cooper rush in the game, uh, I would say at that point it's, it's it's really up to anybody So slight edge to the Eagles on that one but it could be it could be a route. Uh, I think the Cowboys if they keep it close'll be all right, but I think the Eagles could could also run away with it as well. So those are the big NFL games. Uh, fantasy wise for the Cowboys, you know, Zeke and Pollard are de- decent plays. Zeke obviously is going to get a lot more looks. Pollard uh, potentially has that explosive play in him. Um, from a wide receiver standpoint, it's it's tough because Cooper doesn't throw the ball a lot. And of course, when he does throw the ball, he doesn't necessarily feed CeeDee Lamb uh, like you might think. So um, i you know, again, if you have CD, you might have to play him because he is CD Lamb. But I would probably stay away from playing, you know, like Schultz or any of the other wide receivers in the Dallas core, but just because inconsistency. With the Eagles, you're obviously going to play Jalen Hurts if you got him, Miles Sanders if you got him, just because of how he's played recently. Um, AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, that one's a tough one. Um, AJ had his first down game for the Eagles, but he's been really good all the way through. And Devonte is starting to find his legs a little bit after starting slow. So, you know, those two could wind up having monster games, or of course, you know, they could they could pick to shut down AJ um, and force a lot of looks to Devonte. Uh, we'll see what they do with that. So that's the NFL this weekend. Uh, now we're going to talk a little bit about movies. Right, movies are kind of my lifeblood. Uh, they are how I remember things in history. So, uh, this, recently I've started to, you know, watch the movies and I've recently been watching the Lethal Weapon saga, so to speak, and went back and looked at all the 80s uh, kind of buddy cop movies and you could see that the 80s were the kicking off point for the buddy cop movie, right? You had um, Tango and Cash, 48 Hours, um, you know, kind of a uh, lower named Red Heat with Arnold, um, you had Beverly Hills Cop, right, because you had him with Mert, um, with, uh, Jesus, Rosewood and Taggart, you had Dragnet, right, that was kind of a, a remake of a TV show, kind of a, making fun, then you had some animal movies with K-9 and Turner and Hooch, Tango and Cash, um, but Lethal Weapon, I think, whereas, is kind of, to me, like the the standard of buddy cop movies, and simply because of the story it tells. If Lethal Weapon was made today, it would more than likely be a TV show, hence it, it did come back as a TV show, but because of the story they tell, they really developed the characters. I mean, if you think back to the four movies, while each of the four movies had some really memorable bad guys, the movie was not about the bad guys, right? The movie was about Riggs and Murtaug and their relationship. And I think what made their relationship so interesting, especially at that point with movies, was that it kind of turned kind of stereotypes on their head. Right? If you go back and you look at like 48 hours with Nick Nulty and Eddie Murphy, right? You had the... Eddie Murphy was a convict, Nick Nulty was a cop, right? Fast forward to Lethal Weapon, now you've got mel gibson martin riggs character who's a former vietnam vet basically on the brink of suicide who lost his wife because he's a cop and then you've got murtog who is a family man married middle-class suburban house three kids and th- they're the exact opposites but you can see how as riggs becomes more entwined with Murtagh, how the family becomes sort of a calming effect for him how he becomes a part of the murtog household and Obviously, as each movie progresses, right, it gets more and more obvious, right? Like in Lethal Weapon 2, you can see that he starts to do his laundry, like laundry's being done there. It's very common. He's eating dinner there more often than not. It almost seems like he is a part of the family. And, of course, the story they tell with Riggs about his arc from being that guy to, of course, being kind of the husband to Rene Russo um, in the end. And the story that they tell about his character is... Truly, with having you know Murtog there to support him and kind of go through similar struggles, but on a different side of things. Obviously, Murtog went through with the bomb in the bathroom, which you know was kind of more funny than anything, and then of course went through shooting um, his son's friend, right, having that gang violence part in, in in the third one. Thought really well done movies. I kind of enjoy them a little bit more every time. I know they are looking to come out with a fifth one. I can't say I agree with that, only because if you look back on how they wrapped up the series, it was, it, it kind of was perfect, right, you had Gibson having a conversation with his wife, right, his, right, his former wife at, at the gravestone, and right, uh, Leo's character kind of kind of coming up and talking about Bumpy the Frog, right, and have different friends, and Riggs and Murtaugh, how they're different, but they're still, they, they can be the same. And then, of course, he gets married and they both have kids, and and Murtog's now a grandfather as well as Riggs is a father. I don't know if you could wrap the series up any better than that, so I think it's it'll be interesting to see how Lethal Weapon 5 turns out. It That, that one was a tough one to wrap up. Um, hard to say. I probably won't enjoy it, but I'll definitely watch it. Uh, let's see what else here. Uh, the fun thing about Lethal Weapon, at least with the first couple of movies, is how they they kind of tell stories and and foreshadow. So if you remember from the first one, if you go back and you watch the first one in the on the fridge they actually have uh Stop Apartheid, you know, Save South Africa on their their fridge. So I wonder if they kind of already had that story written to kind of foreshadow what the next movie was going to be about. Um, and again, they were telling kind of good stories in the background, right? One you talk about the the drug and sex trade, right, with those, those mercenaries, right, how those big, big heroin dealers, uh, number two, right, you start to deal with, you know, South African and the, and the diplomatic community, but kind of that, the, the apartheid in South Africa, uh, and then of course lethal weapon three, you've got your dirty cops, street violence, right, selling guns on the streets, and then of course lethal weapon four, immigration, um, and, and counterfeiting, but it's it, it's interesting how all of those are legit issues worked into a buddy comedy that tells a really great story. So Lethal Weapon, to me, is, is probably the best series of movies, at least from the action perspective, just because of the character arc um, and the great story that they tell. Um, again, you can enjoy other movies more, other series of movies, more like John Wick are great movies, but... I just think Lethal Weapon tells a better story. Well, we're going to go to our news section of the day and our final topic of the day, which is Home Depot co-founder Bernie Marcus on President Biden. What the hell does he know about economics? And I want to read one, one quote because it's not necessarily an attack on Biden, but it does, I think... Speak volumes to exactly what is wrong with people in our government today. So, I'll read the quote: "Most of the people in Washington never ran a business." Added Marcus, who is he's he's got a new book out called "Kick Up Some Dust: Lessons of Thinking Big, Giving Back, and Doing It Yourself." You have a president that never worked a day in his life, never worked, and and I think a lot of people in Washington never worked, and I think that right there. Is one of the major issues with our government right now is that you have people who haven't experienced what it's like to run a business to grow a business to hire fire go through ups go through downs they don't see the experience I mean they don't feel the experience they know the experience because they can look at the numbers but by looking at the numbers versus actually experiencing it right you get two different stories out of there Again, if you think back to the birth of our country, right, our country was run by businessmen, right? They were all kind of farmers or businessmen of some sorts, and they would always, you know, they'd run their terms, and then they'd go back to their jobs. And unfortunately, politics has become so professional now that now you have career politicians like Bernie Sanders. Whether you like the guy or not, whether you agree with some of his, his points of view or not, what has Bernie Sanders actually contributed to our society? Has he gotten up at 5.30 and worked from 7 to 5? Five days a week for 35 years? Sometimes six days? Seven days a week? And I think that's the thing that frustrates small-town rural America is that you've got these people telling you how to live, what to do, how to think, what to say, while not actually doing anything to help. Right. I always I always get a kick uh, out of the last few years about reading about people talk about how they don't how they'd never work with people or or hire people that had certain political views. And of course, most of them had to do with people that voted for Trump. And in my mind, I always get a chuckle out of that because I always think about the person on the side of the road, right, with a popped tire. Right. You know, you got your four ways on and they're out there and they've got a flat tire. Who the hell is going to stop and help them? Right. It is not going to be a politician. It is not going to be somebody that has, you know, know, make America kind again on their front lawn. It's going to be some guy that works nine to far from seven to five, seven days a week. That's trying to raise his family. That's going to realize the right thing to do is stop and help that person. I almost wonder now, are we going to ask people's political affiliations before we like get their service Right, if somebody stops to help you on the side of the road, you're gonna be like, "Oh, geez, make sure. Are you a Democrat? Oh, you can't help me with my tire. You're not of the same political ilk." It does make you wonder, right? If we're heading down that direction, I think about it every day when I go out into the real world, and I think about how, what people think about, you know, those 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 crazy Republicans, and I think to myself, like, do you realize how many people that work on your home, that um, work on your vehicles, that work. You know, that 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 you know, farm for you, that do all that stuff that may think differently than you. Are you not going to buy their products because you don't agree with that? I mean, that's it's become silly, right? we 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 live in a silly time. Unfortunately, we have no adult in the room, even though apparently people wanted to have an adult elected in two thousand and twenty. We have a senile old man who has no idea what's going on, surrounded by people who have no idea what's going on. So hopefully at some point, we start to elect people I'm not talking democrat republican i'm talking about like just electing people that care about what's going on that have experienced you know running a business or you know working nine to five that can actually help run our country instead of these people who live in the fantasy world of elitism and have absolutely no idea what it's like to work and at any day in their life or or actually raise a family, or do anything productive other than come up with 140 characters on a tweet and um, use really big woke words when they make speeches in front of people. And of course, you know, spout ignorance. All right, it has been about a half an hour. This has been the first podcast of SPNM. Thank you for joining me. We will see you next time.